fellow creators and welcome back. If you follow us on social media, you will know that this month we are celebrating our two year anniversary. And I know I said this last year with our one year anniversary, but it still feels like yesterday that I started the show and had that first idea in the first lockdown. And so I figured, what better way to usher in this new journey for us than to start our guest reader series? So, without further ado, here is our first guest, Josh Anderson Gray. Hello everyone, hope you're all well. I'm Josh Anderson Gray. I'm based in Bedfordshire. I'm a scriptwriter slash radio presenter. And you can follow me on Instagram at Josh Anderson Gray. And that's Gray with an E. Josh will be reading us a collection of poetry and short stories. So, take a minute to get cosy and comfortable, and then drift off. The Cruel Ocean by Victor Marie Hugo Where are the hapless shipmen disappeared, gone down where witness none save night hath been? Ye deep, deep waves of kneeling mothers feared, what dismal tales know ye of things unseen? Tales that ye tell your whispering selves between. The while in clouds to the flood tide ye pour. And this it is that gives you, as I ween, Those mournful voices, mournful evermore, When ye come in at eve to us who dwell on shore. Work by Emma Lazarus Yet life is not a vision nor a prayer, but stubborn work, she may not shun her task. After the first companion, none will spare, her portion and her work achieved to ask. She pleads for respite, she will come ere long, when resting by the roadside, she is strong. Nay, for the hurrying throng of passers-by will crush her with their onward rolling stream. Much must be done before the brief light die, she may not loiter wrapped in the vain dream. With unused trembling hands and faltering feet, she staggers forth, her lot assigned to meet. But when she fills her days with duties done, strange vigour comes, she is restored to health. New aims, new interests rise with each new sun, and life still holds for her unbounded wealth. All that seemed hard and toilsome now proves small, and naught may daunt her, she hath strength 
for all. Malcolm by Charles Sangster Boy, this world has ever been a bright glad world to me. Through each dark and checkered scene, God's sun shone lovingly. But content I've never known, hoping, trusting that the years, with their April smiles and tears, would yet bring me one like thee, that I could call my own. With thy soft and heavenly eyes, in deep and pensive calm, I seem looking at the skies, and wonder where I am. Something more than princely blood courses in thy tranquil face. When she lent thee such a grace, nature lit life's earnest flame in her most queenly mood. Such a sweet intelligence is stamped on every line, banqueting our craving sense with ministerings divine. If thy boyhood be so great, what will be the coming man? Could we overleap the span? Are there treasures in the mine to pay us if we wait? Doth the voice of music live in that majestic brain, waiting for the hand to give expression to the strain? Are there wells of truth, pure, deep, where the patient diver thought finds the pearl that has been sought, many a weary age in vain, entrusted to thy keep? Doth the fire of genius burn within that ample brow, or some patient spirit yearn for things that are not now? Hidden in the oversoul of the future to be born, when the world has ceased its scorn, when the skeptic's heart will bow to the divine control. Patiently, We'll watch and hope, and wait alternately, trusting that, when time shall ope, the casket's mystery. We will be made rich indeed, with the wonders it contains, rich beyond all previous gains, richer for thy thought and thee, beyond our greatest need. The Fox and the Horse, as collected by the Brothers Grimm. A farmer had a horse that had been an excellent faithful servant to him, but he was now grown too old to work, so the farmer would give him nothing more to eat and said, I want you no longer, so take yourself off out of my stable. I shall not take you back again until you are stronger than a lion. 
Then he opened the door and turned him adrift. The poor horse was very melancholy and wandered up and down in the wood, seeking some little shelter from the cold wind and rain. Presently a fox met him. What's the matter, my friend? said he. Why do you hang down your head and look so lonely and woebegone? Ah, replied the horse, justice and avarice never dwell in one house. My master has forgotten all that I have done for him so many years, and because I can no longer work, he has turned me adrift and says unless I become stronger than a lion, he will not take me back again. What chance can I have of that? He knows I have none, or he would not talk so. However, the fox bid him be of good cheer and said, I will help you. Lie down there, stretch yourself out quite, stretch yourself out quite stiff, and pretend to be dead. The horse did as he was told, and the fox went straight to the lion who lived in a cave close by and said to him, A little way off lies a dead horse. Come with me and you may make an excellent meal of his carcass. The lion was greatly pleased and set off immediately, and when they came to the horse, the fox said, You will not be able to eat him comfortably here. I'll tell you what, I will tie you fast his tail, and then you can draw him to your den and eat him at your leisure. This advice pleased the lion, so he laid himself down quietly for the fox to make him fast to the horse. But the fox managed to tie his legs together and bound all so hard and fast that with all his strength he could not set himself free. When the work was done, the fox clapped the horse on the shoulder and said, Jip, Dobbin, Jip! Then up he sprang and moved off, dragging the lion behind him. The beast began to roar and bellow till all the birds of the wood flew away for fright. But the horse let him sing on and made his way quietly over the fields to his master's house. Here he is, master, said he. I have got the better of him. And when the farmer saw his old servant, his heart relented and he said, Thou shalt stay in thy stable and be well taken care of. And so the poor old horse had plenty to eat and lived till he died. The Turnip As collected by the Brothers Grimm There were two brothers who were both soldiers. The one was rich and the other poor. The poor man thought he would try to better himself, so, pulling off his red coat, he became a gardener and dug his ground well and sowed turnips. When the seed came up, there was one plant bigger than all the rest and it kept getting larger and larger and seemed as if it would never cease growing so that it might have been called the Prince of Turnips, for there never was such a one seen before, and never will again. At last it was so big that it filled a cart, and two oxen could hardly draw it, and the gardener knew not what in the world to do with it, nor whether it would be a blessing or a curse to him. One day he said to himself, What shall I do with it? If I sell it, it will bring no more than another. And for eating, the little turnips are better than this, 
The best thing perhaps is to carry it and give it to the king as a mark of respect. Then he yoked his oxen and drew the turnip to the court and gave it to the king. What a wonderful thing, said the king. I have seen many strange things, but such a monster as this I never saw. Where did you get the seed? Or is it only your good luck? If so, you're a true child of fortune. Ah, no, answered the gardener. I am no child of fortune. I am a poor soldier who never could get enough to live upon. So I laid aside my red coat and set it to work, tilling the ground. I have a brother who is rich, and your majesty knows him well, and all the world knows him. But because I am poor, everybody forgets me. The king took pity on him and said, You shall be poor no longer. I will give you so much that you shall be even richer than your brother. Then he gave him gold and lands and flocks and made him so rich that his brother's fortune could not at all be compared with his. When the brother heard of all this and how a turnip had made the gardener so rich, he envied him sorely and besought himself how he could contrive to get the same good fortune for himself. However, he determined to manage more cleverly than his brother and got together a rich present of gold and fine horses for the king and thought he must have a much larger gift in return for if his brother had received so much for only a turnip what must his present be Ross? The king took the gift very graciously and said he knew not what to give in return more valuable and wonderful than the great turnip so the soldier was forced to put it into a cart and drag it home with him. When he reached home, he knew not upon whom to vent his rage and spite. And at length, wicked thoughts came into his head and he resolved to kill his brother. So he hired some villains to murder him and having shown them where to lie in ambush, he went to his brother and said, Dear brother, I have found a hidden treasure. Let us go and dig it up and share it between us. The other had no suspicions of his roguery, so they went out together, and as they were travelling along, the murderers rushed out upon him, bound him, and were going to hang him on a tree. But whilst they were getting all ready, they heard the trampling of a horse at a distance, which so frightened them, which so frightened them, that they pushed their prisoner neck and shoulders together into a sack and swung him up by a cord to the tree, where they left him dangling and ran away. Meanwhile, he worked and worked away until he made a hole large enough to put out his head. When the horseman came up, he proved to be a student, a merry fellow, who was journeying along on his nag and singing as he went. As soon as the man in the sack saw him passing under the tree, he cried out, Good morning! Good morning to thee, my friend! The student looked about everywhere and seeing no one and not knowing where the voice came from, cried out, Who calls me? Then the man in the tree answered, Lift up thine eyes, for behold here I sit in the sack of wisdom. Here have I, in a short time, learned great and wondrous things. Compared to this seat, all the learning of the schools is as empty air. A little longer, and I shall know all that man can know, and shall come forth wiser than the wisest of mankind. 
Here I discern the signs and motions of the heavens and the stars, the laws that control the winds, the number of the sands on the seashore, the healing of the sick, the virtues of all simples, of birds and of precious stones. Wert thou but once here, my friend, thou wouldst feel and own the power of knowledge. The student listened to all this and wondered much. At last he said, Blessed be the day and hour when I found you. Cannot you contrive to let me into the sack for a little while? Then the other answered, as if very unwillingly, A little space I may allow thee to sit here, if thou wilt reward me well and entreat me kindly. But thou must tarry yet an hour below, till I have learnt some little matters that are yet unknown to me. So the student sat himself down and waited a while, but the time hung heavy upon him, and he begged earnestly that he might ascend forthwith, for his thirst for knowledge was great. Then the other pretended to give way and said, Thou must let the sack of wisdom descend by untying yonder cord, and then thou shalt enter. So the student let him down, opened the sack and set him free. Now then, cried he, let me ascend quickly. As he began to put himself into the sack heels first, Wait a while, said the gardener. That is not the way. Then he pushed him in head first, tied up the sack, and soon swung up the searcher after wisdom dangling in the air. How is it with thee, friend? said he. Dost thou not feel that wisdom comes unto thee? Rest there in peace till thou art a wiser man than thou wert. So saying, he trotted off on the student's nag and left the poor fellow to gather wisdom till somebody should come and let him down. The Elves and the Shoemaker as collected by the Brothers Grimm. There was once a shoemaker who worked very hard and was very honest, but he still could not earn enough to live upon, and at last all he had in the world was gone, save just leather enough to make one pair of shoes. Then he cut his leather out, all ready to make up the next day meaning to rise early in the morning to his work. His conscience was clear and his heart light amidst all his troubles, so he went peaceably to bed, left all his cares to heaven, and soon fell asleep. In the morning, after he had said his prayers, he sat himself down to his work, when, to his great wonder, there stood the shoes already made upon the table. The good man knew not what to say or think at such an odd thing happening. He looked at the workmanship. There was not one full stitch in the whole job. All was so neat and true that it was quite a masterpiece. The same day a customer came in and the shoes suited him so well that he willingly paid a price higher than usual for them and the poor shoemaker with and the poor shoemaker with the money bought leather enough to make two pairs more in the evening he cut out the work and went to bed early that he might get up 
and begin betimes next day. But he was saved all the trouble, for when he got up in the morning, the work was done ready to his hand. Soon came in buyers who paid him handsomely for his goods, so that he bought leather enough for four pairs more. He cut out the work again overnight and found it done in the morning, as before, and so it went on for some time. What was got ready in the evening was always done by daybreak, and the good man soon became thriving and well off again. One evening, about Christmas time, as he and his wife were sitting over the fire chatting together, he said to her, I should like to sit up and watch tonight that we may see who it is that comes and does my work for me. The wife liked the thought, so they left a light burning and hid themselves in a corner of the room behind a curtain that was hung up there and watched what would happen. As soon as it was midnight, there came in two little naked dwarfs and they sat themselves upon the shoemaker's bench, took up all the work that was cut out and began to ply with their little fingers, stitching and rapping and tapping away at such a rate that the shoemaker was all wonder and could not take his eyes off them and on they went till the job was quite done and the shoes stood ready for use upon the table. This was long before daybreak and then they bustled away as quick as lightning. The next day the wife said to the shoemaker, These little whites have made us rich and we ought to be thankful to them and do them a good turn if we can. I am quite sorry to see them run about as they do and indeed it is not very decent for they have nothing upon their backs to keep off the cold. I'll tell you what, I'll make each of them a shirt and a coat and waistcoat and a pair of pantaloons into the bargain and do you make each of them a little pair of shoes. The thought pleased the good cobbler very much and one evening when all the things were ready they laid them on the table instead of the work that they used to cut out and then went and hid themselves to watch what the little elves would do. About midnight, in they came, dancing and skipping, hopped around the room, and then went to sit down to their work as usual. But when they saw the clothes lying for them, they laughed and chuckled, and seemed mightily delighted. Then they dressed themselves in the twinkling of an eye, and danced and capered and sprang about as merry as could be, till at last they danced out at the door and away over the green. The good couple saw them no more, but everything went well with them from that time forward, as long as they lived.